Okay. So um, I think it's, I make it uh, three o'clock. Um, so maybe we will start uh, now. Um, welcome to everybody. I can see that we've got lots of people logging on. Um, people from across the world. Um, I can see from people from California and people over from Asia, it looks like. And uh, so we are, have a very international group of people logging in today. Um, very exciting to be here with our speaker this afternoon, Salomán Redan, who's joining us from Colombia. Uh, my name is Purdy Fraser. I'm on the board of the National Lottery Community Fund, and I am delighted to be here this afternoon discussing um, Salomán's inspirational community-based banking model that he has developed and spread across many countries. I've been invited by Weevolution and the David Hume Institute, who've jointly commissioned this series of international insights about systems, systems changing programs and ideas from the global south. Um, can these ideas and solutions help other countries, and in our case, the UK, to recover and rebuild post-COVID? The movement, the, um, I'm just gonna briefly introduce Weevolution and the David Hume Institute, because there may be a few people on this call who are not familiar with them. Uh, Weevolution is a movement of people who bring together, um, come, to, come together in self-reliant groups, um, close communities, often of women, uh, who come together to support one another. They often save small amounts of money, they often meet regularly um, each week, maybe they create connections and shared interests. And these could be around skills uh, or making or craft building. Sometimes they're forming enterprises and money. Um, it's a really powerful model of um, giving freedom and confidence and building a sense of community and self-worth um, amongst um, often disadvantaged communities. It builds on traditions uh, from elsewhere, uh, particularly I understand stand um, from India, where there are millions of such self-reliant groups. And in fact, I, I, I was hearing from Noel, um, who we'll, we'll talk to later on, that it's the 10th anniversary of Weevolution's first trip to India to visit these groups, which is uh, a fantastic milestone to reach. Um, Weevolution is growing across the UK and indeed spreading to other countries. Um, so a real privilege to see um, what's, what, what uh, the impressive growth that it has undertaken. This is the second in the series of these conversations um, held with the prestigious David Hume Institute, which is the home of rigorous and independent evidence-based policymaking, uh, policymaking analysis, sorry, um, in Scotland and absolutely delighted to be in collaboration with the David Hume Institute. Um, just uh, a bit of housekeeping, we're going to, Salomon and I are going to speak for about uh, half an hour and then we'll have 15 minutes or so of questions. Um, 
we'd love any people to interact um, with the chat. Unfortunately, we can't turn it on uh, and have everybody uh, able to be seen, but we would love you to um, let us know your name, where you are, tell us what you know about self-reliant groups and ask any questions through the chat. And uh, we will try and pose those questions to Salaman in the Q&A at the end. So let's move on. Um, Salaman, you are the inspirational uh, founder of the Banco Monales model. Um, can you start off by telling us um, how, how it started? Take us back to, to, to how you set off on this amazing journey. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you to Revolution people for the invitation. I'm really happy. I must start by saying that um, I do not speak English that fluently. So if I made mistakes and all that, please forgive me. Um, well, it started about 20 years ago in a, uh, in a small community in Venezuela, an indigenous community. I was asked by the government of Venezuela at that time to create a, a, a new financial model for peasants, for small farmers, because they were going through a very microeconomic reforms and they, 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 the institute they have to finance the peasants had to be in, uh, closed. So I went to Central America and saw some ideas, but I brought back the idea of creating a very uh, traditional microcredit programs uh, so we started to do a pilot project in an in a indigenous community. And I was, when I was working on the community, I saw a group of women, there were 12 of them sitting in a sort of cycle and uh, they had a basket in the middle. And each of them will raise and put some money in that basket uh, by turn. And at the end, a very, very happy woman took the whole money and I was impressed. I didn't see, I haven't seen that before. I went and asked them what they were doing. And they explained to me that this was a very traditional system they use uh, in which each one will put a fixed amount of money each month. And by turn, each of them will take the whole amount of money. I was really impressed because I was bringing a microcredit program to finance very small amounts of money and uh, I found out that they have money. As a matter of fact, they were using their money in a wrong way, but they had the money. So it was uh, that, that thing what really changed my life. I started to inquire and to see if that's something that particular for that community. And then I found out that it was used in many communities. And later I found out it was using the whole world. It was mm -hmm. an universal system that academically they call it rotating grading and saving associations, but as, uh, have many different names. In Indian, millions of people, in Latin America, 100 millions of people use that mechanism. But I understood they were using a very inefficient and a very uh, no profitable mechanism to save. It wasn't just to have access to credit, but to save. And then, then I thought, well, if people are able to do this, to use mechanisms that are inefficient, insecure, to save, saving should be something really important. And then I started to really do my research. I understood that saving is the real need of poor people. We were doing a, re a, a credit revolution where people were really asking for saving. 
So we decided to change that model, to improve that model, to make it profitable, to make it secure, to make it efficient, and to make it something that will teach people fin so, uh, uh, financial education. And that's how we created Banco Comunales, actually. It's been a long time, and of course, a lot of changes, but the, the roots of that idea was, was there. That's amazing. That's amazing. What do you think, um, as as you took it forward to the next stage, what what uh, what were the lessons you learned in growing it? Um, what what became the sort of unique bit of your approach and your methodology? Well, I think we were fighting two very important trends. One was the idea that credit is that it, microcredit was the industry. Microcredit was a real business. Microcredit was like, a, you know, the panacea for all the problems of financial inclusion. So when you come with an idea of saving, which is not really a business, uh, it's difficult to develop a business by saving. So uh, that to fight against that, it was very difficult. And the other idea is that banking, formal banking, like if the, the, the very, the, the policy to include people was to bring them and to open up saving accounts. That's so strong. It still is very, very strong in those countries. And I, I ask myself, who gets really happy because I have a bank account? Who whose life has changed really dramatically because it opened up a bank account or a saving account. So um, the lesson is that when you have a trend, a very important trend, it takes too long to change that trend. And, and when that trend is a sort of, of, of um, something fancy and, and, and a lot of people get crazy about microcredit or, or, or banking people, it's, it's a really hard to change that mentality. We've been doing that this for 20 years. It's still, I think that even though we have created a revolution and we call it the saving revolution, it's still very far from catching up with what happened with microcredit, for example. And, and uh, well, microcredit has still have to prove that it's really impactful. Uh, I am not that sure that it has been that impactful. From my point of view, it might have been an historical mistake uh, to develop ways in which people have access to credit, which is, I think is very important. If, but if we have done the effort to develop saving mechanisms, different type of mechanisms, probably will, will have impact a little bit more on poverty than what we have done with microcredit. Yeah. And what do you think um, is the difference between your model as it now is and the rotating savings credit um, associations, the Roscoe's that you mentioned and yes. other informal schemes that you also mentioned from around the world? What, what, what have you um, Done. built into your system that makes you think it makes it better in terms of whether, you know, one. One important change is that we don't save, we invest. Our people in our groups don't save, they actually buy shares and those shares can make profits. 
among the same group. So if you are someone who used the money, who put the money and you are gonna use it at the end of the year, inflation won't do any harm to your money. So uh, we bring uh, uh, profitability or rentability to the money you use. So our model is based on investing rather than saving, which is a very important change because it also helps people to understand that financial money has a cost and people change their mentality. I always explain this because I was visiting one bank communal in Venezuela and when I, I, I was there, a very old man came to me and he said, wow, you are Salomon. You are the guilty one. And I said, what, what, what am I guilty about? And then, and then he said, well, I thought I was going to die as a poor man, but now I am going to die as a banker. And that's a change. That, so is it financial education? Do you think that is a core, is that a core part of your model that you're teaching people? Exactly. We're teaching poor people to change mentality, emotional relation with money. Become bankers is not the same as be a poor man. That's a big difference. We also had a very important difference. Which we don't use terms which are very inefficient. People, if you have, if you have, if, if it's your term and you don't get the money on that term by some reasons, probably you will lose the, the economic opportunity that you had and you were asking for the money at that time. So in our model, you don't need to have a term. You can, you, that, that you can use and borrow money whenever you need. So mm -hmm. that's another important thing. We bring efficiency. And the other thing, a very important one is also that um, we make it very secure. Uh, the money will be in the, won't ever be in the hands of just one person. The money will be spread in such a way that if you lose some money, there will be just a small part. So yeah. That, so, so we say that we bring efficiency, we bring security, and we um, and we bring uh, rentability or profitability to the to to the saving. That that will be the main differences. Can you can you bring it to light by kind of giving us the story of a, a particular person? Oh, a particular person. Yeah. Well, let, let, let's. Let's go to a particular community. When I started it, I started in a, in a beautiful island where I lived 20 years in, in Venezuela, which is called Margarita. And uh, well, I started to visit the communities of, of course, the women, the, the, that was a fisherman community in which a lot of the fishermen go in long trips to fish, maybe two or, or three months. So the women normally stay there without money, begging for the husband to come back. And when they need some money, they will normally go into a money lender, a money shark. Mm. So uh, I, I went there and I tried to convince them to create their own bank. Of course, they were very suspicious about me and asking them to put their money to create a bank. They thought, well, this guy is going to take all of our money. Mm -hmm. After a while, I was teaching them. They didn't have really money because the husband were on one of those fishing trips. So they make a fair and they started to sell things like cakes and empanadas and sweets and so on. And they collected an amount of money. It was about, I don't remember, but it should be about 50 or $70, something like that. 
there were 18 women and one man. Just one, one, one was a male. The rest were the, the, the wives of the other fishermen. Well, that Banco Comunal started with maybe seventy dollars. It lasted mm -hmm. for almost fifteen years, and and it it, it was able to raise about a hundred people, members of the community. I can't remember the amount of money they use and reuse and borrow and save, but it should have been about maybe two or $3 million actually. Wow, that is an amazing, amazing multiplier effect. Because they were able to bring some other people, the fishermen, instead of, you know, spending the money early. I had a phrase actually from a man that said, you know, Banco Munale are so good that when I come from fishing, instead of, drinking all the money I spend, I buy some shares. Mm. And uh, they, they make an amazing, huge Banco Munal that lasted many years. The point is that Venezuela went through a very hyperinflation process. And of course, they, they, it, it's not feasible to have a saving program with that. But I saw that community to change. I saw this, the sons of the, of the fishermen to go and study in university. Uh, in the certain capital. Mm -hmm. I saw the woman building and creating new business. I saw a hairdresser, for example, that when she bought the first, the first credit she, she asked for was to buy a hair dryer. She never mm -hmm. asked for something very, just a hair dryer. And when I asked her, what are you gonna do? And then she, she said, I'm gonna create a, a, a hair dryer shop. Uh, 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 and she did actually. When yeah. I saw a, a young man buying flour, and then in four or five years, he had a, a bakery, a small one, but he had a bakery. I, that, that's the, things, the type of thing I have seen in, in a lot of the group we have created all, all over Venezuela and all over Latin America. That is amazing. Um, can you, I mean, going back to sort of talking about the impact, just, just because you've, you've described that, that community, I mean, that's an astonishing numbers you've, you've given us there. What, what would you say about sort of community resilience and, and the, the quality of jobs and things like, and, and um, different um, groups of people, whether it's women or, or different sort of ethnicities within a community? How is it, how has it worked? On impact well, in areas. We, we have measured impact in different ways, of course. Uh, we have, about two years ago, three years ago, we have, under the license of the University of Oxford uh, methods called the, the, the Missing Dimensions of Poverty, we measured some of our groups in Bolivia, in Venezuela, and in, in, in Haiti. And we found out that there were four very important uh, indicators. One was uh, social connection. Mm -hmm. The second one was uh, what, what we call the, the a shame of poverty or being a shame of poverty that would change. Quality of job. And the third one will, uh, and the fourth one will be empowerment. Community empowerment, not just women empowerment community empowerment. Mm -hmm. And allow me to, to explain to you with an example how it works. In that, in that uh, island in Venezuela, they, they elected a new mayor 
and who was a very fat man, very used, but you know, very Latin American uh, uh, mayor. And when he won the election, the women went to present themselves and to present their organization, the Banco Munal. And when he saw the number of women, about, about 10 of them, when he saw the women coming, he raised the hands like that and he said, no, 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 we don't have money. Don't come for money because we don't have money. You know, typically Latin American mayor. And then one of the women said, no, mayor, money we have. If you really want, we can lend you some. <laughs> and that, that's what I call empowerment, community empowerment. If a community is poor, well, mm. it's weak. But if mm. they are able to handle and to have money, Money mm. brings power to the community. They are not begging. They are not asking mm. the politicians to give them some money. They're on their own money. They, they have their own money. They mm. are bankers. They have a bank. I mean, that's a big difference. If you are, you always yeah. be poor, you know, always asking, waiting for some help from the politicians. And then you got your own money. You, can, you are able to tell the mayor, mm. we can even lend you some. Yeah, well, it's a fantastic story. And then economically, in terms of economic and financial impact, uh, you've talked about the, the sort of social and, and, uh, and community impact. But economically, I mean, I can imagine that, that, that we, you will we, have noticed substantial. Absolutely. In, in a personal way, of course, a lot of people that have seen coming out of poverty and developing business, creating new jobs, the, you know, repairing the houses, uh, in, in educating the, the kids and all that. But also, let me tell you an example. We made, we made a, a, a pilot project in six Latin American countries about three years ago with the help of, of uh, CAF, which is the, the Development Bank of Latin America. Mm -hmm. And we created 600 groups, more or less, in those countries. And in two and a half years, they lended eight, seven million dollars among them using their own money. And they saved about 1.2 million dollars. That's an incredible amount of money. If you ask the government to do that, probably a Latin American government won't be able to have that money to spend in, in credits. They do it with their own money. And it's not rich community. We work in the border of, of, mm. of the Dominican Republic and Haiti, very poor area. We work in, El, in, 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 in El Alto, in Bolivia, which is also a very poor area. I mean, not, we're not talking about rich people. We're talking about people with very low income and still yeah. they're able to raise that amount of money and to lend that amount of money. Amazing, extraordinary story. Your model is being used, as you've said, in, in many countries of Latin America, but as far afield, I gather, as, as Senegal, Indonesia, Germany, what have been, in your view, the, the, the key um, ingredients for successful replication in other cultures? Well, I normally, I've been asked that question before. I normally, I'm sure. <laughs> you got to have a model, something that's yeah. been systematized, something that is really like in a package. 
like a hamburger. You know how to make it. It's really mm -hmm. good and it works and people like it. it it's like, like having a hamburger, like having something well designed, something very well packaged so you can replicate it. In the second, the second thing I will do is that that package should be flexible enough for community to, to adapt to their needs and their and the abilities and capabilities. So, so it, mm. it's flexibility to be adapted is, a, is the second thing I would say. And the third one is that people should find value on what they on, on the model. I mean, they have to do to find that this is useful for them. Something that they, they, they're going to improve their life, something they're going to use because it's going to be good for them. If you have those three elements, I think you have a good chance to replicate something that is well packaged, something that could be flexible enough to be adapted to different realities, and also that people really find this is something good for us. That's amazing. What what would you say? I mean, I guess to look at the the, the other uh, look at it the other way. What do you think have been the biggest challenges? Um, uh, you know, you mentioned um, people have been overly focused on formal structures, like do they do people have bank accounts, or um, uh, the the um, microfinance model? But what? Um, can you kind of look broadly across the, the, the implementation in the many places where you've seen it replicated? What, what other challenges would you say uh, we should look to um, prepare uh, against? If, if, uh, well, regulations, financial regulation is very important in our case because the regulation has been designed just to favor those with really a lot of money. I mean, to be a banker, you need to have a lot of money. Uh, so that if, if you, regulation will always be a problem. It's very costly to study the laws and to really understand that you won't be breaking any law so you can get help mm -hmm. to spread your model. And uh, I think formalization, I mean, the idea of the strategy the strategy just to really think of financial inclusion through creating uh, uh, or, or through bringing people into formality, I think it's a really mistake. It's a very important mistake because after maybe 40 years of trying to formalize people, most of the accounts never are never used. I, I mentioned that before. Sixty percent of the of the bank or the saving accounts in Latin America are never used. And on top of that, over eighty percent of the transactions do occur in informal through informal mechanisms. They do that's not. That's across Latin America, is it? Eighty percent. I would say that's that's a figure for the world. I I, I got the figure from a book called. The portfolio of the Porsche, which is a very deep and and, and, and important investigation of how people uh, do uh, financial transactions in, in the poor communities, mm. and that is still happening after so many years of trying to formalize people. I mean, it is ridiculous to ask someone who is poor to open up a bank account. That doesn't. Of course, if you do it by phone and you're do and you're and what is happening in some of the African countries is good because you can 
transfer money to your to your friends or your, to your family. And that is good. And I welcome that. But that won't make any real big difference in the way people are living. I mean, I, I like to say the phrase, is it really that a bank account, a saving account is going to make people happier? Are they going to improve their life because of that? Uh, so, the, but, but regulators and authorities are very, very much concerned about uh, uh, formality. I'm very much concerned, of course, and I understand. I mean, we've got to protect the society from having mechanisms that are not very, uh, that, that could be risky. But if you only think that in just, just in Latin America, 100 million people use informal mechanisms like rotating and credit saving association to save. Well, don't, let's not be stupid. That is happening. Why don't mm. we, instead of understanding the, the, the informality, transforming, improving it, we just deny it. Like if it doesn't exist, mm. that is crazy. Yes. Well, it's, uh, I mean, it's, I guess if you were then to give advice to governments, um, if I was to appoint you as the advisor to, to, to the British government and other governments, on how to improve financial well-being generally, um, and especially amongst the most disadvantaged communities, what 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 advice would you would you give? To spend money, improving ways of, in which people could save. Get into your brain that saving is the real important need for poor people to get out of poverty. Credit is important, but saving is what should be done, and had to be done for a long, long time. I mean, this is not new. If we have spent the amount of money, we have spent it in trying to develop a, a ways in which to bring a small microcredits to the population. If we have done something different, just to spend 10% of that, improving ways in which strategies for people to save, we would have made a big difference. And the other thing I think is very important is to understand how people spend their money, which is something we are working a lot on. We make an, and research on the people who have been teaching financial education for a long time. And we found out that a lot of their budget was spent in, in, in things like beers, wrong, gambling, and uh, uh, sodas. And it's still going on. And then I asked to myself, how come that we have been teaching financial education and just doing the same? And then I was walking and this actually happened. I was in Cali, in a shanty town in Cali. And when I was walking out of the house, they were selling beers in that house. And when I came to the next house, they were selling groceries and were selling sodas and they were selling they, they had a gambling shop and all that. And then I thought, well, why is that that people are having this type of spending? Basically, because that's the offer they're getting. What else is going to do? I mean, they had been large company, very important one, spending money to develop ways in which deliver their products, packaging in such a way that people can buy for very small amounts. I mean, someone had done the job. 
to really conquer those markets. We as a society yeah, yeah. haven't done something, anything like that. Why, how about if we change and we produce some new products and services that we call, uh, we call, we call them poverty buffers. How about we make a different offer? So if you are a government uh, or you are, do those two small things, get together mm -hmm. with good companies, deliver some new products and services, package them in a way that people could borrow, could buy it, use channels, innovative channels, good, good, very different channels for people to buy that. Then people might change the way they spend their money. I don't blame the companies. I don't blame the large companies. No, honestly, I think they have done yeah. their We got to do our job. An insurance company, for example, insurance are so important to get people out of poverty, but they don't go down. They don't mm. go to the poor communities. They think they're gonna get the, the, the insurance just by saying, well, come and get an insurance policy. No, yeah. we got to do something different. That's amazing. I mean, thank you. Thank you for, for uh, good recipes for government um, in, in, you know, emphasis on savings, emphasis on innovation, be like the companies. I mean, I guess Coca-Cola gets into every community. We need to get that sense of saving into every community. Yes, and probably you could convince Coca-Cola to, to produce something different they can sell because <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not complaining because they are rich. I'm complaining. <laughs> type of product they're selling. Yes. <laughs> um, we've got some, some, uh, some uh, time for some questions uh, and we've got a few questions have been coming in. Um, we've got a question about how do you manage um, liquidity when people want their money back um, in the oh. Banco Monales model? Uh, that's, that's a very important question. Uh, we cannot because we don't have a, a, a bank core. I mean, we, mm. we are not allowed to take any money. So mm -hmm. the, the, what we do is that we have a balance between uh, offer and demand. Mm -hmm. So if, if there is too much liquidity, we uh, the, the method won't let you buy more shares. You got to have a balance between offer and demand. So if, 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 if we have a measure that says if you sell, if you are, if you are, uh, delivering 90% of the amount you have, you are able to sell more share. If you are not delivering that, that figure, 90%, you won't be able to sell more shares. The, right. the, yeah. the security of the model, it's based on the balance between offer and demand. That's interesting. Yeah, that is, um, so it's not, I guess you're subject to the regulations that you know you can't act like a bank. You're not uh, able to to give that flexibility, but exactly. you but you are relying on the trust in the communities to to uh, to keep that security and yes. to enforce sort of repayment, not enforce, but uh, as a matter of fact, I will I will tell you if we had the opportunity to get the money that is normally. Uh, uh, that is not normally allocated or, or delivering credit, we should have improved more of the savings of the other people, but we're not allowed to. Yeah. Um, I've got another question here about how different is the system of Banco Monales from a, a standard credit union? Um, 
Which with credit unions are, yeah, probably you will find some some uh, similarities. But Banco Mundial are small groups; they cannot mm. be large. We mm. they have to trust each other. That's that's a, a, a very important element of the success of the group. Uh, I mean, the largest group we ever had were were some in Venezuela, more than a hundred people, and that's too long too large actually we don't want to do that any longer we will try to restrict the no the number are in around 30 35 people no more than that mm. and it depends of course of the type of community for example we have a very large uh banco Munal in a jail in, in peru that's more than 120 people but they are in jail i mean they cannot go out so it's a uh, and of course, uh, that, that that can be done there. It has to be adapted to, to what, whatever community you are or, or society you are in. But mm. uh, but it, credit unions are, I, as far as I know, very large. Yeah. Um, that's Thank you very much for that. I got another question here about um, specifically to, to Venezuela. Um, after your story of the fishing community that faltered during the a period of hyperinflation, are you seeing the Banco Monales model evolving and adapting to meet the needs of communities now facing economic challenge? And I've got another question, I guess, to add in there, which is how are you seeing the, the current economic challenges of COVID-19 um, and your Banco Monales models adapting to that? So maybe you could combine them to the two sort of a specific word about Venezuela and then a larger word about COVID-19's impact. Oh, have I lost you? Hello? Hello? Hi. Salomon? We probably lost Salomon, uh, who I think is, is uh, zooming in from Bogota in Colombia. Is that right, Ferdi? Yes, I think that was where he said he was, he was in Bogota, yes. Yeah, well, uh, it's a shame that we lose him right at the end when he's supposed to answer all these important questions. Yes, I was looking in, uh, interestedly to understand about the impact of COVID-19 because I think in my conversation with him before earlier this week, he was saying that one of the big issues facing the communities is a lot of this is the trust and a lot of the financial transactions are, are happening traditionally in person. And COVID-19 has meant they've had to have, uh, like we all have done, to adapt to new technology. And it's a fundamental issue because it is harder to develop trust uh, amongst a group of people who don't know each other as well or at all um, online. I think everyone in the world is finding that. Um, yeah, it, it is hard going. And, and just going back to what Salomano was speaking about savings as one of those key mechanisms uh, and the poor people's emotional relationship with money. I was just thinking uh, that, in fact, Revolutions work with SRGs across the UK 
uh, has been around the discipline and the culture of savings uh, which in fact is a principle practiced by every individual and SRGs in our groups across the UK and the Rotterdam uh, or, or Rotterdam in the Netherlands. And Purdy, I just wanted to check in with you. You are part of this whole scenario of, of financial inclusion. I, I wondered what was going on uh, inside of you while you were listening to Salomon. Well, it's an amazing story because with various different hats on, uh, I think... I've been looking at the issue of financial inclusion at the, at the National Lottery Community Fund. We've been uh, trying to address this issue in many ways, um, reaching, working out how to reach the most disadvantaged communities, the unbanked communities, um, what is the most effective way of building the trust and building the, the understanding of um, and giving people the skills to manage money, to not be afraid of money and uh, to not be afraid of numbers. There's a lot of um, the statistics on British numeracy are really terrifying. I think I was reading an article last weekend that um, said, I think that we're possibly at the bottom of the OECD for, for, for numeracy having and in Scotland, for Scotland, that's particularly distressing because Scotland has this extraordinary um, history of uh, fabulous education and, and specifically fabulous numeracy. Um, and I think, unfortunately, I think Scotland has, uh, I don't recall exactly the uh, position of the individual countries of the United Kingdom, but it was not good. All, all four countries were not, not uh, um in a happy place in terms of familiarity with 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 numbers let alone understanding of financial um options and and having the confidence to deal with that and then i've also been working um a little bit with um edinburgh university where i sit on the board uh we're doing a lot of work with um scottish government and the uk government uh looking using artificial intelligence um to to uh, understand more about uh, what policy tools would help with um, financial inclusion. So that's a, a really interesting new area. Um, oh, I think we have Salomon back. Great, great. Very, very good. To all of us if we had lost Salomon forever here. Yes. And Noel, you're going to tell us shortly uh, about the next in the, the next uh, uh, development for yeah. Weevolution and the next sure, in the sure. series. Sure. Once we've heard from all the all about the wisdom from Salomon, then I'll come on. Fantastic, Salomon. Have you, can you hear us? Oh no, maybe not. Maybe maybe um, Noel. Do you just want to tell us a little bit about the next the next bit of the Weevolution series? Oh, um, while we wait for Salomon to sort out the technology. Sure, absolutely, I, I I can do that very quickly. In the first instance, I'm I'm sure all of us are enjoying this conversation with Salomon uh, about the revolution around savings and investment in, in not only Venezuela, but so many other countries in, in Latin America. Uh, I know Salomon has said to me that his organization has been severely impacted because of COVID-19. Uh, and, and I'm sure there are people here who would want to know more about his work and, and also find ways to to learn and also support him and and uh, a comms officer will put his email id in the chat box here and and 
Salomon said to me earlier, he'd love to hear from people here in Scotland and the UK uh, about, about what's happening here, but also trying to understand about his work further. Uh, and the, the bit that, that Revolution is working on also is around this profound element of a culture of savings in our communities and amongst our people. And we've tried to incentivize that ourselves through very small little financial innovations a couple of them being the We Start loans, uh, which, which, which are probably one of the most markedly different loans in the market. For example, I can't think of any lender who gives up to 1,000 pounds completely interest-free, and it's based solely on the savings principle within a group. And it's also for people who do not normally get a loan from any other lender in the market. We've also introduced trust money which is up to 500 pounds to every single SRG in Scotland for now. And later we will extend it to everyone in the UK, to every self-reliant group. Again, it's to supplement people's savings so that they could use it for internal group lending, often for consumption need or crisis, but also for enterprising needs. I want to announce two other bits, but but I want you, uh, Ferdi, probably to go back to Solomon. I'm sure our participants here are eager to listen to him more than me at this stage. I am sorry something went wrong with the internet. No idea what. No problem. We were just asking you about about uh, the impact of uh, the, of economic uh, challenge on the Venezuelan communities. Um, and then also the impact of COVID-19 generally on the Banco Monales model. And if you could talk sure. to us a bit about this in the... One of the worst things that can happen to society is inflation, honestly. Inflation is a terrible, terrible damage to the economy. And we have a hyperinflation. I mean, our currency devaluates maybe two or three times per day, which is an amazing thing. It's one of the worst economy in the world. And inflation is like getting the money out of the pocket of people. You know, mm -hmm. they become poorer and power and poorer every day. So what we're trying to do in Venezuela, which is not something well seen by the government, is to uh, try to develop Banco Munales using a, 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 a strong currency. Probably a, a, a crypto moneda, a crypto coin, mm -hmm. or, or the, the dollars. But people cannot save with the money, with a currency that is going to be devaluated three or four times per day. That, that's impossible. And the COVID had impacted very... We do have a system in which people got together together. They had to gather. They had to sit in a meeting. And of course, for the last seven, eight months, they haven't been able to do that. So um, they haven't been able to have their own meetings and. And with our application, which is now that what we're using has not the opportunity to transfer money uh, digitally. No, no, you don't have a digital wallet. We, we don't, we are not a bank. So it's yeah. difficult for us to do that. Regulation won't allow us. So people still have to get together. We hope next year to develop the software for people using, can use our app and can transfer money to one another just by using the, 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 the mobile phone, but we are not there yet. 
the cover is going to make terrible mm -hmm. for not just for the Laban Comunal, it's going to be terrible for the whole Latin Americans. Yes, well, I think not just the whole Latin Americans, I think it's, yeah, it's it's been a, uh, yeah, we could, we could start a whole new conversation on that. I think we should probably sure. stick to this one. Um, how, uh, I had another question from someone asking, which communities are the least able to save and how can we change that? Well, I what we have learned is you can save is very small amounts, but you can always save. The point is that we think of poor people like if they have nothing, or at least if they have they don't have much uh, in a period of time. But a community is a mixture of things. It's very difficult mm. when you have a community that only depends on one crop or, or, or one specific industry people people have different activities even in, in very small poor communities so well probably if you're a farmer for example you normally will we have two or three different types of 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 of, of, of fields or, or how do you say or crops yes two, two mm -hmm. or three different type of crop maybe you do corn but you you, you also do carrots or you do uh what well, another vegetable so in one time, you will have surplus. Mm. Sooner or later, you will have surplus. Because if you don't have surplus, you don't survive. Surplus, what do you do with that surplus? If you, if you think that people are going to put that surplus in a bank account, you're crazy. And if what they do with it is they put it under the cushion, they they hire the women's normal will hire it from the husband because if he gets strong, it's gonna get the money. So what we propose is to have a very um, a system in which those profits that you have, those surplus that you sometimes have, can be used by your neighbor because your neighbor have a need in a different time. Maybe he doesn't grow uh, corn. Maybe he's a shopkeeper or maybe he's a government employee, or maybe he's a, he's a welder or whatever. So mm. max, ma matching those surplus with those need could create a very local uh, bank, actually, in which you withdraw the surplus that one has and use it to finance the needs of, of your neighbor. Yeah. That is, I mean, that's the genius of it, I think. And and I, we had another, there's another question come in here asking what the difference is between the a Scottish menage, which is a kind of friendly society where a savings club, where the members um, uh, decide by lot who's going to receive the contribution that's raised in, any week. But I think you've already described that yeah. this is, that actually one of the successful things about your model is that it isn't automatically uh, some decision by lot and, and everybody has their, their opportunity and then not for another few a set period of time. Um, exactly, I think that's very inefficient. Yeah. That has to be transformed because that has been a study. And when you miss the economic opportunity, you're gonna misuse the money. And that happens quite often because probably when you wanted the money, three or four people didn't put the money that month so mm -hmm. you couldn't get the whole money and, and your economic opportunities missed. And probably mm -hmm. you will use the money for something that, that shouldn't be used. Yeah. 
I mean, the absolute genius, I think, of what you're doing, and I think is, is at the bottom of a lot of what we're struggling with, with financial well-being, is, is, is the need to build community, to build trust, to, to build, build self-worth. And, and what your model is so brilliant at creating is, is all of these things wrapped in to this savings revolution. And I think, I don't know, my observation as, as, a, as, a, as a, an ob observer only, but a, an interested observer with the various hats that I wear is that this is, it's such a genius model because if you have, if you have building community and building trust without any savings, it's, you're not achieving this financial well-being. If you're doing the savings without building the community, you're not going to do that either. And I think it's this brilliant recipe that you have got, which, which has these various planks that have enabled your successful um, translation into so many different cultures. It's completely brilliant. I think the challenge we have is how to get governments <laughs> on board and how to because they have a the rigid structures you were talking about i suppose maybe i mean we're, we're going to run out of time soon and i'm sure that noel will want to come in with some final words but what would you leave us with um if we if we are sitting in our various communities across uh um the world what 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 would you what thoughts would you like us to walk away with i would say that Community have the power and have the resources and the human, the human and, and the material resources to be their own bankers, to be honest. Even in very, very poor communities, you will have surplus that can be used by your neighbor. Create a local system, very efficient ones that helps. Because poverty is not just the lack of money. It is one point. But poverty is also the, 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 the different ways in which People get money. You might have, you, you, you can have money on one time and next one you won't have money. So mm -hmm. we need to develop something like we have done that to balance the incomes. So when people get a fixed income, even if it's very small, they will get out of poverty because mm -hmm. they can plan the money, they can use the money efficiently because they know they're gonna mm -hmm. get the money. The, the point with poetry is that you don't know if you're gonna have money next month mm -hmm. or next week. So if you have a, a, a system in which you can somehow create the balance of the income in the family. And when you have surplus, you can use the surplus to save. And when you have need, you can borrow from that, from that local mechanism. That will help a lot, a community. That, that's fantastic, fantastic words. Um, think, really think, community have more than you think. Absolutely, absolutely. Noel, do you want to um, come in with your some final thoughts? Yeah, thank you, Pody. And thank you, Solomon, for giving us probably one of the most profound moments of this week. And, and to be ending this week on those Thoughts. Jesus, no, I, what, what, those words sound really good. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad we can have a currency called profundity, at least as we are doing trust and savings and community. 
Uh, we are very grateful to you, Solomon, for your time with us all the way from Colombia. And, and we would love to keep our learning uh, growing and going ahead, probably with some sort of a collaboration with you in the coming months and years. Absolutely. Buddy, thank you very much for, for hosting this conversation. And, 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 and as you uh, gave a hint to this immense uh, work ahead of us about how to convince the UK government or even the Scottish government about this wonderful thing called savings and how do we incentivize savings in our community communities. One of the, one of the things Revolution is setting out to do <clears throat> is on concluding this four-part series of the Global South series, and, and today has been the second part, uh, we will conclude these series in, in uh, January. We will want to put out uh, a little learning and action report for the Scottish government. Uh, and if you've been part of this conversation and you've got some ideas, your imagination is feeling stretched, you want to add something to this, uh, please put, say yes in the chat box. And, and I'd love to invite you for a one-off conversation uh, with a few of us, probably in a couple of weeks time, and, and see how your imagination and your ideas about what we could be doing here in the UK, having heard Salomon, uh, and we could put forward to the government in January. And the final bit to say is this, that this being the second one, the third part of the series will be on the 9th of December with Jyoti Mapsekar from Mumbai in India. Jyoti currently works with about 5,000 waste pickers, organizing them into incredible cooperatives, delivering services across an 18 million, 19 million uh, people city. And I'm sure you'd be very impressed with her and her undertaking in India. Thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, as Salomon has said, and perhaps we could go off with this reminder that we do not need just a savings revolution. We need a savings and investment revolution. And one in which people of the poorest or the most disadvantaged don't just have a bank account, but that they can become bankers in their own right. Thank you. Have a happy and a healthy weekend ahead. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you, Solomon. Thank, Thank you. you.